We're excited to bring you this segment on Real Presence Live. It's called Straight Talk, and it's your opportunity to share your questions and comments on topics relating to the faith or on things happening in the world around us with our local hosts and priests. So when you hear the sound effect, please call 877-795-0122 or send your questions and comments to us on Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, we have a few comments uh, for uh, topics that we're going to mention this morning, but again, we'd actually rather just have your questions and topics. And Father Metzger just joined us here. Good morning, Father. Good morning. How are you, Roxanne? Good. We just saw you coming in right here at the last minute. You're very timely. The last minute. (laughs) I am usually early, but uh, we had a little snafu this morning, so I'm scrambling to get here. But I got it. I've made it. On the wings of grace, right? There you go. Every traffic light worked in my favor. So my guardian angel was doing his work. Okay. And it it gave you time to prepare for for the segment so that when those questions come, you'll have a ready... I've got a lot of adrenaline running through (laughs) me right now. Well, Father, you are the vocation director of the diocese. I am. Uh, I know Louis Priest uh, give you a hard time. Uh, usually, it's uh, referred to as a vacation director. I, I, uh, <laughs> uh, but could you explain affectionately? Yeah, right. affectionately. Uh, but recently, you had a couple of dinners uh, with uh, the bishop and young uh, young people. If you could explain, maybe a little bit about uh, the Operation Andrew dinner, what it is, and uh, I, I why would, it's held. I would love to. In vocations, it's a unique ministry, and so it's not you know the typical parish life, and so you're putting on a lot of events, retreats. Uh, for young people to aid them in their discernment. And one of them, as you mentioned, we kind of have a male part and a female part. Uh, The male uh, 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 equivalent is what we call the Operation Andrew Dinner. And so we take the name from the passage in Scripture where Andrew meets Jesus, and he's so taken by this man that he goes to his brother, Simon Peter, and says, I found the Messiah, and he brings Peter to meet Jesus. So it's actually Andrew who meets Jesus first, but he introduces him to Peter, who rises, of course, to be the first pope. And so taking that name, we uh, there's a, a pastor in a parish who has a young man whom he sees certain priestly qualities, and he wants to invite him to bring him to the bishop. So it's a dinner um, at, uh, at Bishop Folda's home. We start with evening prayer. Um, Well, the pastor, then uh, many pastors, maybe four or five pastors, will bring young men from their parish who are discerning. And we have uh, have a nice uh, prayer and dinner with the bishop. Uh, Priests share their vocation stories, how they came to be priests. And it provides an opportunity and kind of a safe environment for these young men to kind of open up and ask questions about their own discernment. Then the female equivalent we call the Miriam dinner. And so it's the same thing. We uh, invite religious sisters to uh, to come to the bishop's house. They share their vocation stories, how they discerned religious uh, life, and young ladies then can, can ask questions of the religious sisters or of the bishop as well, just kind of principles of discernment. How do you, how do you understand God's will in your life? Oh, well, thank you, Father Metzger, and we're great, and we're ha- very thankful to have you on Straight Talk this morning, and uh, yeah, so this would be a great uh, little interview. We are waiting for our first caller. You can call in at one 795 
888-346-0122 or go to Facebook and drop your question there. We are waiting and willing, and we have uh, two priests here who are two men priests. of the cloth. So, yeah. And Father Slattery studied in Rome, so he's super oh, no. smart, right? No. If I don't know anything, Father, I'm, I'm deferring to you. Well, luckily, this is a radio show, so I can look it up on Wikipedia or something. <laughs> <laughs> no one would know. No uh, one would know. <laughs> no, but uh, we especially are thankful for our listeners, and this time is uh, an opportunity for them to call in or write in with their questions, remind them especially that they can uh, add questions or comments on Facebook. Um, they can also call in at 877-795-0122. Uh, we will talk a little bit about some topics today, but uh, particularly what we're looking at are some particular items for the show. Is uh, How do our listeners share the faith in their homes and with their family members? Uh, what intentions would you like to pray for on air live today? Uh, how have you been encouraged to serve people in your community? And uh, some reflections on the readings. And um, it looks like we do have a, a listener question here. Um, we're just going to pause here to, to get it. It's, um, the question is for you, Father Metzger, or Father Slattery. Uh, we're wondering, or the listener is wondering, why in Scripture... When talking about the dead, is it often referred to as them being asleep and not dead? Sure. Uh, there are different kind of uh, senses of how the different uh, uh, books of the Bible were written. Some very historical, you know, chronicles, uh, biological, factual of things. Some are more poetic. You know, the Psalms speak in poetic languages. Uh, some are kind of um, symbolic. So like the book of Revelation uh, uh, uses a lot of symbolic imagery for, um, for the second coming of Christ. And so when you're referring to death, depending upon where that reference is, the style of that uh, text, they're going to refer it in different terms. And so uh, using uh, the, the image of sleep is, uh, is, is, is kind of a poetic image. Um, we even, you know, use it with our own children, you know, like uh, maybe perhaps with, with pets, you know. Uh, so it, it's not, a, it's not a, a hard and fast um, technical definition of what happens, but it's, it's a poetic way of referring to has gone to sleep, gone to rest. Uh, even in the liturgy, uh, requiescat in pace, rest in peace. Is the person resting, sleeping? No, but it's a poetic image of, you know, maybe resting in the arms of, of Christ or, um, so it'd be interesting. I would uh, be interested to know exactly uh, what text that is in Scripture. It might help direct that a little bit more. But a poetic use of 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 death. Well, I think too, it's linked with the hope of Christians, right? That the difference with uh, with the Christian understanding of our death in the Lord is is now filled with hope, where before there was not a promise of a resurrection, and so that actually, in the poetic aspect, still works and how we refer to it, making it hopeful. That's so true, Father Slatter. You know that that death is is not um, permanent. Um, that eventually we will, will all uh, rise in Christ. So there is kind of a temporary nature in our Christian understanding of death. Okay, and we do have a, a clarification there. The listener was referencing Lazarus being asleep. So oh, does sure. That help? Oh, yeah. Sure. Um, Lazarus, uh, for the listeners who, are, who may be unfamiliar with that passage, Lazarus, a good friend of Jesus, uh, visits um, 
uh, Jesus comes to visit. He hears that he has passed away. And uh, was it his mother, Father Slattery, his sister? Who was oh, there? Oh, Martha. Martha. That comes and he greets him. And also the disciples, remember, they're, they're uh, wanting to go right away, but he waits. He waits. Yeah, instead of going right away. And that's the point it comes up at is that uh, Lazarus, especially, they said, is, is dead. And he says he has not died. He is, he is just sleeping. He is sleeping. Um, uh, and so he then raises him from the dead. Uh, 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 you have that provocative passage from Scripture where when he hears that he has died, it says Jesus wept, right? Mm. His humanity just kind of shines forth. So he wept um, uh, at the death of his good friend Lazarus, but then raises him from the dead. Uh, from my understanding of the scripture, Father Satter, you can certainly correct me, he would have been literally dead. Um, but there's kind of that, that poetic sense of he's gone to sleep, maybe in the sense of like, that I have something more for him. Kind of like what we were saying earlier, that in our Christian understanding, death is only temporary, that we will arise again. And this passage, you kind of have a, a foretaste of that, that a life in Christ, he brings us back to death. Uh, brings us back to life with Lazarus in this in this p- episode. It's very literal and very immediate for us. It, it, you know, we wait for the second coming of Christ. You know, one thing that strikes me is when we think about finality, we're kind of like our minds aren't really made to to end there. You know, it's a really eerie feeling to just think, oh, something would just end forever. Like there, our minds and our hearts are made to like believe that there's something yeah. more, right? I, it, it's just weird otherwise. <laughs> very, very much so. The, the, the eternity of God, the, 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 our faith uh, endures forever. You know, we are not annihilated. We are not taken out of existence. Um, what God is um, inherently creative so what he creates, he never uncreates. He never destroys. It endures forever. That's our Christian sensibility striking uh, striking through. We are doing Straight Talk this morning. It's one of my favorite segments where we get to hear from you, the listeners, and we have a phone number that you can call, one eight seven 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 nine five zero one two two. And we have two priests here who are willing and able to answer the best of their ability the questions that you have. So, uh, will, Willing, definitely. Not, I don't know. <laughs> ability will be judged maybe by the listeners. Oh, you guys do a great job, and we, we love the questions. So, so call in. I, you know, there was a time when I started doing this. We didn't have the capability to be able to have the, the people call in and have ex- live exchanges. So it, it's a real blessing to be able to They had to have send that. in their questions ahead of time? Yeah. Well, yeah. we just didn't. Yeah. We didn't have any of the two-way. I oh, mean, it was just, yeah. So oh. so that's a newer thing, and we're happy to be able to offer that. So Well, Father Mesker, you mentioned uh, especially the Jesus especially wept for his friend. Uh, in the gospel for today, uh, in the readings in Luke, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem uh, if you remember, maybe if you want to talk maybe about uh, your takeaway from uh, the gospel today. You know what, Father, I have to be honest. I haven't had mass today. Oh. I'm having it tonight with the search retreat. I'm yeah. the chaplain at the search retreat. So I don't have that passage right in the front of my mind. Oh, oh for, yeah. pull, it, pull it up <laughs> on have, your phone. We have uh, yeah. Yeah, technology here. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I have it here on my Magnificat that's on my phone, so I have to go. I, I did kind of look it up. It's kind of a sad... I, well, I do remember when I took a pilgrimage to, to Jerusalem, there is, is it the Dominus <laughs> Flevit? Is that the Latin Christ wept? And so I've been mm. in that church where he weeps over mm. Jerusalem. That's, that's the, this yeah. passage, mm-hmm, is Luke, it yep. not? Um, 
some Pharisees came to Jesus and said, go away, leave this area because Herod wants to kill you. Go tell that fox. I love that mm. passage. He <laughs> refers to Herod as a fox. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes when you see like stained glass windows, you'll see a fox mm-hmm. in the stained glass windows. That's a, 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 a symbolic image of Herod. Go tell that fox. Behold, I cast out demons and perform healings today and tomorrow on the third day I accomplish my purpose. Yet I must continue on my way today, tomorrow, and the following day, for it is impossible that a prophet should die outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you, how many times I yearn to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you are unwilling. Behold your house I will abandon, but I tell you I will not see you until the day, uh, until the time comes when you will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Jerusalem, like, you know, this holy city from the very ancient days when, when King David founded this city in Shechem uh, and becomes the capital still to this day. And when you go to Jerusalem, if you ever go to Jerusalem, there's there's a spirit about Jerusalem unlike any other city, totally different than Rome, um, another uh, city of prominence for us. And there's just something palpable about what goes on in Rome. And Jesus you know, even uh, millennia ago, um, loved that city. Think of all the history, David, the temple, uh, everything that happened in that city. But it's still, even in Jesus's time, it was a city that continued to doubt God mm-hmm. and, and doubted the, the, the Messiah that came, that they were waiting for, and they didn't see it. And when Jesus, all of this comes to Jesus in his last days, and he sees this, he weeps for Jerusalem, a, a symbolic image of all of us. He's weeping for us. He just wants to love us. He, he's willing to die for us, but we are just um, uninterested mm. at times. And he weeps. He's not angry. It doesn't say, you know, Jesus, you know, is, is furious. He weeps. He's sad mm. when we're so distracted and not giving him um, our attention. And so he weeps longingly over this city that he he loves but doesn't re- reciprocate the love mm. oh thank you father that's a uh, very beautiful uh, and there's a good connection especially then with our celebration of liturgy uh you know in that every time that aspect of what we receive the the eucharist especially is that connection with christ and the fullness of of his yeah. revelation and his coming as messiah now and yeah. in the future that as we you know come to celebrate the eucharist we say those words you know blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord hosanna in the highest yeah. hosanna in the highest and you can it, wh- when you travel to Jerusalem, as I was saying earlier, right on the outskirts of the city, there's this church called Dominus Flevit, which in Latin means Christ wept. Mm-hmm. And it's believed this was the very place where he looked over Jerusalem. It's kind of on the outskirts on the hill. You can see the whole city. And it's believed that that's where Jesus was standing, where he looked at Jerusalem the day before he would pass away. And that's where he, he wept um, at that spot. What a solemn thing to experience. The, the, the stained glass window in, in, in that church is in the shape of a teardrop. Mm. It's very beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Very much a part of our experience as Christians, the tears. Um, so we do have another listener question, and uh, again, I got to the whole thing here, but um, at the end, as we near the end of 40 Days for Life, can you speak to our efforts on uh, the sidewalk continuing on even after these 40 days and not ending there? So that, that mission to, to bring life uh, after the 40 days are up, we don't just stop, right? Mm-hmm. 40 days, um, 
you know, a very powerful witness of the continual presence of, of people um, continually striving after for a more perfect understanding of the dignity of the human person. But um, that's a, ma a brief manifestation of something that's already going on and that we want to continue to go on, um, that uh, a, a, a time where we can come together to kind of... Uh, um, re-engage our fervor for the pro-life movement that will then propel us on further after that uh, and and uh, and here uh, in Fargo where we uh, we see so many people so faithfully so diligently so um, uh, routinely um, ministering to women uh, and men uh, outside of that ab abortion clinic that uh, it, it continues to this day because I think we have a good grasp of how pressing of an issue this is uh, and that that fight for the life endures not just for these 40 days but for 365 days what's the importance of taking those time spans even though it continues on but like making a special time you know for from this day to this day there's something about that that we need to pause sometimes and focus there is kind of the, 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 the concrete intentionality. It also provides a certain structure to kind of uh, to bring people in, you know, dividing up those, those 40 days, those 40 hours to different parishes. So maybe if, if, if you're not as engaged, you can say, well, they need me in this specific time. And that can kind of help people uh, uh, get reengaged that maybe ha have lost their fervor to it. So it's a, it's a good time where we can double down our efforts, remind us of that, uh, get reengaged to, to then um, um, propel us on after that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I was just, uh, uh, two weeks ago, I was down uh, with our Sullivan Teens for Life uh, group. Uh, the, some of the leadership wanted to uh, go down to pray at the abortion clinic for, uh, as their kind of participation in the 40 Days for Life. And uh, it, was, it was a great experience, uh, and it was good to see kind of the, the faithful ones that are there for the entire time of, like, the 40 days outside bringing awareness uh, to our call to embrace the gospel of life. And the students uh, really did a great job of, you know, it's kind of, it can be chaotic downtown, uh, but they knew the focus that we go there to pray. We go there to pray, and by our witness especially, to bring hope, uh, by our smiles especially to bring joy in a place that people are having challenge and difficulty. And often I think there's a big struggle because those who are there often get accused of bullying or, you know, are, are especially there to intimidate. But now we're especially there to kind of hold a line of our commitment always to do what's good uh how especially we have to witness to that and how uh even among great struggle that christ calls us to a radical faith and hope uh and that's part of that witness and how powerful for people to see a whole slew of like uh teens there yeah right? i was it's just so, gonna say I'm, so, uh, I'm an advocate down there and, and when we see children or, or young people come down I, the, the the little spark of hope that that we get it just going in both directions one for the people who see those teens there it's so awesome that you do that father slattery for the, the witness of them but then also the, the formation that happens with those teens mm -hmm. well I, I don't want again i want to clarify uh, and this is the most impressive part of me is that they came to me asking for this. Right. I didn't arrange it. Uh, I only arranged the fact that I got the bus and I parked in the Bishop's <laughs> driveway. Uh, 
<laughs> it was a busy day. Uh, but I think the blessing there too was at the end of this day was to be able to. Uh, it was also the time in which the relics of Padre Pio uh, mm. were at the cathedral. So after mm-hmm. we did our public witness, we went especially to uh, kind of venerate the relics of a man who knew Christ intimately as a friend, intimately, yeah. uh, who witnessed with his life uh, in a radical way the gospel uh, in suffering. And it was a great kind of uh, model for hope for the kids, and they had a wonderful time. Mm, beautiful. Um, I have a question uh, about Halloween because it is Halloween. Halloween, today. happy Halloween. <laughs> <I know. laughs> we're, we're kind of like rolling into that a little bit earlier with the a sleep question. But um, one of the things I struggled with as a young mom was how to kind of balance out the evil. You know, we don't want to like forget evils there. So how do you? I mean, I still see the question coming through Twitter of these young moms. Like, what do we do about this? Yeah. How do we? It's a great question. Obviously, very pressing for today. I was. I wondered if somebody would call in and ask that question. <laughs> uh, one important thing is we have to remember this is our holiday. Okay, yeah. all Hallows Eve. So some mm-hmm. uh, somebody asked me like, do Catholics celebrate Halloween? Are you kidding? Like we started this holiday. <laughs> yeah. Okay, this is this begins at you know at sundown for for Halloween of remembering all the saints, the the giant uh, 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 pious people of our faith. Now, obviously, over time, has there uh, 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 been some things that have come into it that are less than sacred? Of course there are. So uh, we kind of want to purify, keep those, uh, uh, get rid of those in order to come back to the original root of this, but recognizing the saints in our church. So uh, as as long as you have that that impetus, I know one way that some parents kind of help even bolster that even more is you dress up as saints, right? And how many, you know, different images, different cultures are represented in the saints, so you can bring that in in, uh, in, in sacred ways. But there, there are un, unsavory things that get, unfortunately, grouped into this holiday. But it can still very much maintain its its sacred, um, its its sacred history. Mm. Yeah. It's hard sometimes to. There is, to and that I think a lot of it comes from the fact that you know, like when you know, All Hallows Eve, the it existed, especially Father's Right. This is our holiday, but uh, the date was actually moved with the uh, dedication of the of the uh, Pantheon. The dates for All Saints Day, uh, and this is what kind of happens: is it kind of gets mixed in with these kind of culturally uh, kind of pagan practices of, of mm-hmm. harvest festivals in the time and some of the things especially that the Celtic peoples believed uh, and these are the people that came to the United States and if you look at across the world like we're the only ones who really celebrate Halloween in, in this experience and it kind of comes from this mix of kind of pagan culture with uh, this very important saint holiday uh, and I think Father's right that the way especially we celebrate it is by focusing on what is truly authentically ours mm-hmm. and especially in that reality of yeah we're kind of approaching the topic of death but Christ calls us out of death to life. And in all these things, this is why even like, you know, we, we light candles. We light, you know, all these things that are kind of us witness that in the dark, Jesus enters. Uh, mm-hmm. And that uh, death no longer has power. So there's a kind of you know, that thing that is appropriate of, you know, in the church. So we kind of, we don't uh, make fun of death in the sense of the suffering, but we're not intimidated by it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so we, we, uh, we uh, our celebration, especially of all saints, should be, a celebration of hope. Right. If if you as a family celebrate kind of the 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 the, the secular side of it, the trick or treating, all of that, mm-hmm. with failing to recognize the sacred side of it, then a problem has happened. So if you're going trick or treating all night tonight, 
and you're not going to mass tomorrow, then something has fallen. Uh, okay. the, the, something has fallen off the tracks. So, uh, and and the and then your children are going to have this distorted view of what this holiday is. Mm-hmm. That it's all about candy and greed and gluttony, right? But you you can have the, the kind of that that secular joy of it, so long as the heart of it retains that 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 sacred nature of we're celebrating the heroes of our faith, you know, the, the saints, the martyrs who have passed on the faith to us. That's what we're going to celebrate uh, most. This is like the pre-party. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, and then you know it's just like when we have. Uh, you know, Mardi Gras or Carnival, right. and those aspects that there, there's that aspect where we're invited in the community to celebrate and to come together. Uh, but it's always got to be directed towards, again, why we celebrate. Uh, right. And uh, that's the important part. Thanks, Father, for your your words. Chris, Christmas tree is a, a, a mm-hmm. good example. You know, that the, the Christmas tree, the, the tree that, that lasted through the winter that in the ancient cultures, was it the Druids, Father? I don't know, but believe that the spirits went into the trees. Okay. And so that's why they stayed green. Oh. Uh, I think it was Germanic. a Ger- Germanic thing, right? And... Um, um, we purified that. You could say we baptized that belief. So uh, it was incorporated into into kind of the, the, the Christian uh, holiday of Christmas. So people, you know, good, faithful Catholic people put up Christmas trees. You'll even see them in the churches. But we've purified that that, that pagan understanding that the spirits are in the trees. Um, and what, what trumps that holiday is the birth of Jesus Christ, obviously. The tree has just kind of become an external manifestation of that. But the heart of it is Christ's birth. We haven't, you know, gotten rid of the trees, but we, we change that understanding. The heart of, all, of, all, of Halloween is actually All Saints Day, the celebration of the, the, the giants of our faith. That has to retain the center of it. Mm-hmm. The candy and all of that, that has to be periphery to it. Right, right. We are doing straight talk here on Real Presence Live. We have Father Metzger and Father Slattery answering your questions. We do have a listener question here for you, too. Uh, can you speak to if there's anything special about November 1st through the 8th in regards to the poor souls? I've heard something, but I'm not quite sure. You know, uh, to be honest, I am unfamiliar with that. It sounds like something like a novena. Father Slattery, have you heard of this? Well, especially we're looking at this time at the end of October and the first part of November is always kind of been dedicated to our prayer for those who have passed away. And so the poor souls, and especially our understanding of the teaching of the church and purgatory, that purgatory is uh, is a way through which we're prepared to enter into uh, unity with God in eternity. And I think, uh, you know, Roxanne, you said earlier, like our, our minds can't really grasp this finality. And I think this is why we have this teaching on purgatory is that we know there's some aspect in which we have to be prepared. It's not just continuation of this life because that would just be mundane. It would be terrible. It's got to be so much better and more joyful and more hopeful. And so this reality, especially of this time of November 2nd, again, being All All Souls Day. Uh, But through this period of early November, we pray for those souls in purgatory that they may experience purification and find eternal rest. Um, And it has a very ancient kind of tradition. We see this in a lot of other Latin cultures, uh, the celebration of the Dia de los Muertos, uh, the Day of the Dead, and the Hispanic cultures. It takes time in this uh, this period of early November, um, and it comes from uh, Latin practice of uh, Feralia, which was uh, front of the first week in November, on which they would go uh, to the cemeteries to honor their ancestors. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- there is something again in the church that 
they always recognize that there is proper respect that we give over to our ancestors who passed away. Uh, that, 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 that human aspect and human desire is not a, an evil. When we uh, deify them or, uh, again, confuse them with their, their kind of power to influence our lives, that's when we get into the wrong. But the aspect of seeing in humanity good efforts, being able to be inspired by them to pursue what's good, uh, be, be especially pray for mercy uh, you know, for them, that, that human instinct is given to us by God himself. And we can see it even through pagan cultures that this is a, a goodness that is there and that we continue to hold on to today. So, yeah, there is that aspect of a novena from the first, uh, especially uh, you know, November 1st through the 8th of that, of praying for souls in purgatory. And the, the whole month of November really is dedicated to, you know, the souls in purgatory, those who pass away. Like October is a month of Mary. Uh, November, we we remember those who've passed on at the parish that I live at. They uh, they have uh, you know kind of a book of the dead where you can record the names of relatives and friends who've passed away, and then at all of the masses we add a specific intention for all the names recorded in this book. So a, a pious devotion to kind of call to mind our our mortality, particularly the mortality of of, of friends and family who've passed away, and to to pray for them, to uh, to to pray for their uh, the salvation of their soul. So it is kind of an enduring an enduring um, prayer that happens throughout the month of November, not just the second. Okay. All right, and we got one final question. Yeah, one uh, more here. Uh, and so uh, the listener on the phone, thank you especially for those who've called in today mm -hmm. uh, or written in today. But it says, thank you, Father Metzger and Father Slattery. We're blessed through the, you're saying yes to the priesthood. Uh, Two-part question. Uh, the first part would be, what are your thoughts on using Protestant Bible studies in Catholic parishes? And the second would be, could there be a danger of Catholics believing that we're all the same, uh, thus leading to relativism or potentially people leaving the church? Yeah, interesting questions and uh, perhaps very pressing questions. The first one, what are your thoughts about Protestant Bible studies in Catholic parishes? Uh, I'm not sure what's underneath the question, but it might be just an, a question. A, 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 a dilemma of like availability of resources. Obviously, if you have the ability to do a, a Catholic Bible study, I think right now the most prominent one in the church would be Jeff Caven's Dr. Jeff Caven's Bible Timeline, profoundly Catholic and stellar. Now, if you're familiar with that, you have the resources to that. That is certainly prepared, uh, preferred. Excuse me, but if you don't have availability of that, you're not familiar with that. I think using a Protestant resource would be better than not doing anything, but at the same time you have to be aware of its limitations and the differences of Protestant interpretations of certain passages in Scripture as a whole. The main difference between Protestant Scripture and Catholic Scripture is Protestants don't have all of the books of the Bible. They've removed seven of them, so that's going to create a void to certain things. So you have to be aware of that. So. I would say, in short, certainly you'd prefer a Catholic Bible study, but I would think you know a Protestant one would be better than not having one at all. But uh, be careful as you use it, because again, that aspect of interpretation of Scripture is important, especially when it comes to the idea of the sacraments and the Eucharist. That's going to be one that's kind of a central question, correct? 
And then the second part, could there be a danger of Catholics believing that we are all the same, less, uh, uh, thus leading to relativistic tendencies? Absolutely. Um, most people would not, uh, I think, in my experience, people would have difficulty articulating certain differences in Scripture study. Um, so you, we have to understand those and to be able to overcome that. Um, people saying, well, you know, we're all the same. There's just these subtle differences. Well, not exactly. You know, you read uh, the iconic passage, John chapter 6. A Protestant interpretation of that is totally different than a Catholic interpretation of John 6. So there, there are certain passages that really you are going to have profound differences. Um, um, so it takes somebody, you know, somebody who's who's better than average to be leading that Bible study. Ideally, you know, the priest, the, the pastor would be, would be certainly prepared to um, to do that best, um, sometimes that's not available. Um, so there are there are dangers there, but I don't think there are dangers that can't be overcome. Yeah. Well, thank you, Father Metzger. Yeah. Well, thank you for all those great questions that have gotten our our minds and, and hearts on fire here, thinking about different various things. And we just thank all of you who called in and wrote in with your questions. Uh, we're gonna have next. We're gonna take a ten minute tour. So that's coming up next, and then after that, we will have a guest on De- Devin. Yobert is going to be spreading the gospel message through sidewalk art. She will be talking about that. We are broadcasting live from Shanley High School in Fargo, North Dakota. I am Roxanne Solomon. And I'm Father William Slattery, and we thank Father Metzger for being here today. Coming Del- back to Shanley, where, you, where it all started. My right? alma mater. Love this school. Awesome. <laughs> where your mom was a teacher. Yes. A <laughs> lot of history here. Yeah. Was she your teacher, too? She was. Sixth okay. grade. Awesome. She taught my brother's kindergarten also, but by the time I got here, she was up to sixth grade. Okay. All right. Well, thank you all for being with us, and do come back after our break. We will be back live with more Real Presence Live.